0: We are recording with the one and only, my buddy, Dr. Murray Sabrin, talking about the U.S. national debt, the interest on the debt, the next financial crisis, and, uh, you know, all things cheery on today on Tuesday, oh, it's August, Tuesday, August 1st, 2023 at 4.10 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, I'm going to post the live link right now, Dr. Sabrin, real quick for anyone that maybe, do- and guys, if you go into the description, you can find the links to his books, please go get them, please go support him, please go visit his website, Dr. Sabrin, could you please introduce yourself and then maybe tell everyone just about how cataclysmic the U.S., 32 trillion right now, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, uh, great to be with you again, Tommy. It's um, always wonderful talking to people who uh, have a good grasp of what's going on in the country. I, of course, I love to speak to people who don't have a good grasp <laughs> of having a country because I like to educate them about what's going on. And that's what we desperately need in this country is education. But the problem, as you know, with people on the left is um, that really set in their ways. uh, No matter what type of evidence you present them, whether it's on the economy, whether it's on climate, whether it's on all these other issues, uh, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, they don't wanna hear about it. They just have an agenda, which is to increase the power of the government against the individual. So my background, as we've discussed in the past, uh, I'm an immigrant, like tens of millions of Americans uh, before me and currently came to this country after World War II. Uh, my parents were the only ones uh, who survived the uh, Holocaust in their native Poland. All their family members were either killed in the war or, uh, well, killed in the war, either in combat or uh, or the Nazis came in and uh, shot them uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, my father's father was shot because he was a courier, and he was captured as a civilian and shot as a spy. Jeez. So uh, that's all in his, his memoir called We Dare to Live, which is available on Amazon and it's a uh, really a heartfelt um, re- recounting of uh, his experiences during World War II and um, I remember growing up asking him questions about his experiences during the war and uh, virtually all of them are in the book except the last one which I'll leave to to your audience to read because um, when I read it uh, I'm just surprised he didn't tell me about it because um, uh, if he had followed the uh, request of the Soviet colonel that helped liberate his part of Poland um, he wouldn't have survived World War II so he denied that request to um, to go on another mission deep inside uh, Germany and um, and I'll tell you what it was Uh, ninety percent of the people that were recruited died on that mission and so uh, the odds were not very good if he decided to uh, and uh, go on that mission that the Soviet colonel wanted the uh, partisans of Poland to uh, to uh, go. And so um, that's why I'm here with you, Tommy, because he didn't do it. I was born right after the war, and uh, grew up in New York City, um, went through the New York City schools, started teaching in the New York City schools and realized that was not going to be my lifelong career and uh, went back to graduate school in 1972 to get a PhD and did various jobs uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. And in 1985, I got a full-time, I got a temporary teaching job at Ramphill College, which turned into a full-time career for 35 years and graduate and (laughs) graduate. I'm still thinking as a student. Uh, And then um, retired in in 2020 after 35 years. um, And I wrote four books since I retired, Um, two books on medical care, how to have a universal medical care, without the government there was a totally free market medical care that would take care of everyone's needs at a much lower prices than we pay today a book on the federal reserve uh, well that was written before then but uh, on on the boom bus cycle called navigating the boom bus cycle my last book which was published at the end of last year my memoir from immigrant to public intellectual which is recounts my uh, story in america as an immigrant and how i um, I end the book with my 1997 New Jersey uh, gubernatorial campaign when I was the first third-party candidate to raise enough funds and I uh, was required to debate the uh, major party candidates. And although I didn't win, I didn't come close to winning because there was no expectation of winning, even though, believe it or not, there was a path to victory, which I described in the book. If all the people who believed what I did in New Jersey got voted for me, I would have won in a landslide whether it was limited government, whether it was free enterprise, whether it was deregulation, whether it was pro-life, whether it was Second Amendment, if all those groups got together and voted for me, if those were their, their issues, I would have won in a landslide. I would, have, I, would I could have gotten 40, 50 percent of the vote. But what happens when a third party candidate comes in, the mentality is He can't win or she can't win, and therefore, I'm not going to waste my vote. And therefore, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for the Democrat or Republican. Um, But that's the way third party politics has been in New Jersey, in in the country. Uh, And I give you an example of how successful third party candidates can be without winning anything. All you have to do is look at the 1912 Socialist Party platform for president. 1912, 110 years ago, virtually everything has been enacted, Ami without any socialists winning the presidency. Isn't that amazing yeah. that you don't have to win in order to get an agenda enacted and Bernie Sanders didn't become president, yet Joe Biden is in an, enacting his, his agenda. Uh, the only thing we're waiting for is a wealth tax, which hopefully will never come, uh, a central bank digital currency, which was not part of uh, Bernie's uh, agenda, but that's coming that would give the government total control over the economy i mean it would make the soviet union look like like a bastion of free enterprise because once the government controls all aspects of our money they can refuse to allow us to buy things that we want such as firearms and ammunition it could refuse to allow us to buy uh, books refuse us to buy gasoline if we want, want to to get medical care that we want or or alternative medical care instead of the uh traditional medicine uh it can refuse to uh allow us to make some investments it can refuse to uh allow us to make some charitable contributions because they may deem some organizations are not uh are 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 deemed uh hateful groups or something to that effect or anything like that so again this is we've entered the danger zone tommy from that aspect the central bank digital currency And I wish the American people would get more information about it because um, I don't think the mainstream media is doing a good job on covering that issue because uh, that could be the defining issue of our era. The government taking over completely how we how we can potentially spend our money by the government controlling the the digital currency that we would have to use in lieu of the dollar. It would be dollars. It would be not denominated in dollars, but we would basically have a debit card from what I understand the way it would work and the government can freeze that card. And, um, and then we are at the mercy of the government bureaucrats. So this is the greatest danger that I see to economic freedom, to personal freedom, to property rights in our history. And it's all coming about because um, the government took control of the money with the uh, creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. And through a series of steps over the last 110 years, Tommy, here we are on the precipice of a, a central bank digital currency, which would be the end of constitutional um, constitutionalism in America, because the government would have totally free reign. Uh, all our Rights Guaranteed by the Constitution could potentially be violated and uh, it seems that that's what their end game is is to make sure that the Constitution is dead and buried and that uh, we we have government by fiat government by uh, executive order and not by laws anymore.
0: When you look at how they behave. Right now, when you can still own a gas powered car. You can still own a a gun. You can when you still have dollars. If you look at how they behave now, what do you think they're gonna do when they have it all? Like you know, it's 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 like when you see a spoiled child, and it's like that's not stopping. When you see the kid screaming in the store, you're like, it seems like a kid now, and he's crying for chocolate. Give it twenty years, and that guy's gonna be, you know that guy's going to be stealing from you he's going to be taken from your purse he's going to be he's going to be bullying you he's going to be a rapist it's like it doesn't it doesn't start out of nowhere right it's a long yeah. gradual rise
1: there's no question about it in fact what i think could be coming down the pike comparable to covid is that biden could declare a climate crisis oh, yeah. because the heat wave we've had this summer and that would be the entree into the government saying hey we really have to make sure that the climate is up uh, is conducive to human uh, well-being and therefore we have to uh, shut down the power grid for a couple hours a day we have to ban automobiles from central cities Uh, we have to ban gas stoves we have to do this that and the other thing because they have this false notion that co2 is a pollutant and reducing co2 is going to have somehow an effect on the climate when they should know from general science that they should have learned in uh, either junior high school or high school is that photosynthesis means that plants require CO2 to thrive and crops require CO2 to thrive. So if you're going to reduce CO2, Tommy, it means potentially widespread starvation in the future as the food crop will be reduced. This is how stupid people are who think that CO2 is the problem. And that's why I would urge all your listeners to go to one of the best sites, if not the best site on climate change or so-called climate change, and that is the co2coalition.org. This is, these are where uh, tremendous uh, scientific research is presented regarding climate change or the lack of climate change due to human intervention. The climate has always been changing. There's a wonderful book called Unstoppable Climate Change that was written in 2007 by a physicist, S. Fred Singer. And he has all the data there. It's fully footnoted. It's got 500 footnotes, actually 498 to be exact, okay? And he goes through all the literature to show that the climate has always been changing on planet earth because of the natural forces that are at work from the sunspots to the rotation of the earth. and um, I taught at Ramapo College in northern New Jersey, and outside the business school building near the parking lot, there's this huge boulder sticking out of the ground, and I asked my students, do you know why that's there? Because 14,000 years ago, Ramapo College in northern New Jersey, Marwa New Jersey, was under a mile or two miles of ice, and that receded, and that gave us the Great Lakes, and all the other lakes in Minnesota and other places, and uh, we see... Uh, elements of that in the Catskill Mountains, which are nearly not really mountains, they're really hills, uh, where I spent my summers in the 1950s and 60s. And so geology, physics, um, meteorology, uh, these all have important things for us to learn. And unfortunately, people who, who have the biggest megaphones in the Congress and uh, in the media don't know squat about the climate. And yet people accept what they're saying as the gospel when in fact people have been refuting what they're saying, what they've been saying for the past uh, 20, 30 years. Because I remember, what, 50 years ago, the fear was the the climate was gonna be uh, colder and colder and colder and that we're gonna enter an ice age and now of course it's just the opposite now it's no longer a, a, a heat spell or a clim- uh global warming but climate change so they're changing their tune because the evidence doesn't support their assertions that uh, human beings can impact the climate and they c- conflate weather with climate weather is is a local micro phenomenon while climate is is the macro phenomenon that uh, changes regularly, according to S. Fred Singer's book, which happens every 1500 years, by the way. Uh, and so, again, he presents all the evidence, and I wish more and more people would read his book and go to the CO2 coalition.org because all the evidence is there that the people who are spouting uh, and screaming about climate change, that the planet is doomed, like AOC said uh, a couple of years ago, that in seven, nine years, uh, the climate, the, the, the Planet's going to die. I mean, this is what's causing anxiety among young people mm-hmm. that they don't think they're going to have a future in the world um, because there's not going to be a world to live in. And so the fear mongering is just off the charts. And I just find it very repulsive as an academic who spent all my uh, adult years pr- uh, doing research. And you've got to have data and facts to support your assertions. And if you don't have it, then basically what you're doing is uh, being a propagandist and uh, not showing any intelligence when you're making statements about any subject whether it's climate or the economy or uh, uh the proxy war in ukraine and so on and so forth
0: i've had on dr patrick moore who's the co-founder of greenpeace yeah and the uh, the thing i always look for is like someone who went became a professional in something and then after x years or decades changed their tune so you know mm-hmm. if i if I see, you know, some tree-hugging granola hippie saying, like, make love, <laughs> not war, I go, yeah, I mean, I get it, you know, I get the idea of it, but it's another thing when I, you know, have befriended guys in their 50s, 60s who were in special forces, right? And they'll come to you and go, listen, man, you know, I, I went the whole way, rah, rah, mer-, you know, and I'll tell you, you know, a lot of it is you're, you're cannon fodder, you're, and to me that's, a, to me that always makes me perk up, I go, oh. So when I've had on Doctor Patrick Moore, who's the co-founder of Greenpeace, he talks about it. he was like, I was that screeching hippie. He's like, I was on the, you know the boat save the whales, and now he and now he talks about how much of a farce it is and how much of a power grab it is. So that's the thing that always gets me. And you know with with climate lockdown, that will be something that they'll never have to give up because the information is so vast and so malleable. You'll be able to adjust at any. I mean, I saw something yesterday that was like the like these temperature sensors that like the NOAA was using. The mm-hmm. vast majority of them across the nation are placed within like thirty feet of a highway. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's a heat that's a heat island. It, it's a black yeah. asphalt. We've all seen it. it, it it's sure. so to me that that right there, I'm like, oh, it, it, it's a power grab. But to kind of you know, and I. I think this is all it's a way of just laundering, really control of the economy and so I have to look at it in terms of myself, who's a knuckle dragging layman you know, I follow a bunch of guys on Twitter who have had on this show, and they're always they're always talking about how we're we're in a financial crisis, but they've been saying it for three years, and I don't know what is and what isn't and i'm I'm very honest about that and they show graphs that i don't understand you know it's the 10 20 year flip bond cycle upside down gold and i'm like i don't i don't know what that means so for you there's someone who is kind of a genius with this are are we entering a financial crisis are we entering a tipping point with national debt are we going to yes. start a war to wipe it out because we are at the apex of decline but we also still have an ungodly military What what is in your crystal ball what, what is what is coming
1: well l- l- let me back up a little bit sure. because w- w- one of the things that really gave me a lot of insight into the American economy was teaching the financial history of the United States course for several years uh, at the end of my career at, at the college and uh, in doing the course you really have to go through every period of American history since the beginning of the Republic and we, we focused also on the colonial period where um, where some of the colonies were just literally printing money in order to, uh, to try to boost their uh, uh, co- colonial economy, and it was a total disaster. And so we had the, the Continental Congress printing money, and, um, and that's where the term not worth the continental, because their continental dollars came in, because they depreciate so much in order to fight the uh, revolution, which is ironic, since uh, uh, we, we used hyperinflation to, to win uh, the, the, uh, the revolution. Having said that, we know that the Constitution says states can only use gold and silver as, as money and to pay their debts. And so uh, in the, in the, in the uh, Constitution is basically a very hard money uh, philosophy that uh, the government shouldn't have the ability to just print money willy-nilly. But throughout the 19th century, we had banks printing money, and that caused uh, the booms in various towns where, these, uh, where, the, where the banks printed money. And so since they weren't backed up by gold and silver, people got very nervous when they saw that prices were going up in their area and uh, a lot of speculation was taking place in land and other uh, aspects of the economy. And so when they went to get their gold back uh, the go- and, the, and the banks didn't have enough gold, that's when the banks, you had a banking panic. So you had the panic of 1819, 1837, I'm going to be the big ones, 1857, 1873. 1893 and then 1907 and then after 1907 the bankers and um got together in that secret meeting off of the coast of georgia jekyll island Island. and put together the blueprint for the federal reserve system so the federal reserve uh starts operations in 1914 and uh they've been printing money ever since and so uh the Federal Reserve has a balance sheet of assets and liabilities. Their assets were, were basically gold. They still have on the books 250 million ounces of gold valued at $42.22 an ounce. So uh, the, the real value of gold today in the marketplace is around $1,980, but, something yeah. like that. So those assets are undervalued on the balance sheet. Having said that, Wait. and then the Fed has been manipulating oh. interest rates. That's what's given us uh, the boom bus for for decades. And of course, the last one we had was the great recession of the housing bubble, because Alan Greenspan's Fed kept the interest rates so low, people were borrowing and speculating in the housing market, which was, uh, 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 which was chronicled in that wonderful book called the, um, uh, the Big Short and the movie of the same name, which I urge everyone to read the book and see the movie. Uh, and it's just a great, great chronicle by Michael Lewis of how the housing bubble unfolded. And so since then, interest rates have been kept very low. We've had a huge stock market run. The bond market has done well also until recently. Real estate has gone through the roof, especially the last three years uh, since uh, COVID uh, occurred. And the national debt has exploded. And a lot of my Republican friends don't like to hear this, but Donald Trump's economic policies were a disaster yeah. because because debt exploded under the Trump administration spending exploded under the Trump administration and hasn't receded under the Biden administration to pre-covid levels adjusted for uh population growth and inflation in other words when obama left office he the, the national budget the federal budget was around 3.9 trillion dollars under trump it went up to 6. trillion to fight COVID because he spent so much money because of the lockdowns. And then as the COVID stimulus stopped, the budget went down and it's now back up to $6.7 trillion under Biden. So in other words, what we're seeing is a crisis, spending increases dramatically, but never goes back to what would be quote a normal level after the crisis has ended. And so this is the ratcheting effect that uh, the great economist and historian Robert Hicks talks about in a book that is just wonderful called The Crisis in a Leviathan, Critical Episodes in the Growth of Government, where he shows every time there's a crisis, government expands its power, but it never recedes after the crisis is over, whether it's World War One, World War II, uh, Vietnam, um, uh, the Gulf War, and of course now with the housing bubble and uh, COVID. So government is always expanding its power. That's the nature of bureaucracy and sort of the iron law of government. People in government love to expand their power. No one goes to government, either the president says, I wanna reduce the government by 20, 30, 40%. They'd probably never get elected, but they would be telling the truth that we have too much government. So what's happened now? And I just wrote about this on my Substack column at hurysabrin.substack.com. The most ominous chart that I've seen in my 50 years of doing research on the economy is the interest on the national debt, Hmm. which has been increasing, increasing slowly. And it was kept low relative to what it should be because the Fed kept interest rates so low that the federal government was able to borrow money at virtually close to zero interest rates for several years. Then as the Fed raised interest rates starting in 2022, the interest on the national debt has gone from 500 billion dollars a year four years ago to nearly one trillion dollars a year right now what that means tommy is that we're on the verge of a major financial crisis because the government's fiscal house is so out of order that more and more of the tax revenue will be devoted to paying interest on the national debt every time this has happened in in the past in country after country after country, what tends to happen is there are not enough savers to buy up the debt and the central bank comes in and buys the debt, which means they create money out of thin air that's happened in Germany after in the 1920s it's happened in other European countries after world war one and world war two, it has happened in Argentina, Brazil, and other South American countries. It's happened in the middle East in Asia, We're we're being set up. Again, I don't think it's deliberately. I think it's just stupidity on the part of the policymakers that we are going to have a major financial crisis sometime down the road. And I think it's going to happen by 2029 or soon thereafter. Because what I've noticed in my research about financial history is that we have these 100-year cycles. 1819, the Panic of 1819, the Forgotten Depression of 1920, 100 years later. And then, of course, the COVID lockdowns in 2020 then you go to uh let's see uh, you go to uh 1890 uh, 1873 and then 100 years later you get the first oil crisis with the collapse of the uh the u.s economy and uh, the zoom in oil prices and the uh, stock, dr- uh, drop in the stock market then you go to the panic of 1896 and what do you find 100 years later well, it's not exactly 100 years, but it's close enough. You dot get com. the s S&O crisis of yeah. 1990. I
0: thought okay. I had it. I thought it was dot and .com. Then,
1: and, and then you go to the panic of 1907, and what's 100 years later? The housing bubble bursting in 2007, 2008. And so what's the next major financial crisis? The, cri- the depression starting in 1929, 100 years later. Oh, is <laughs> So all I'm saying is, I'm not saying that this is a guaranteed dunk shot of a major financial crisis in 2029, but given the way these things have unfolded for the past 220 years, there's a possibility, maybe even a good probability, that 2029 will see the perfect storm coming together of massive federal spending, massive debts, massive money printing, and God knows what's going to happen overseas with uh, any conflicts that we have there. So I think being a student of american history and and a uh, professor of finance all these things are coming together by the end of this decade and i was going to write a book about it but i'll just write articles on my substack because the, the the material is so compelling about how these crises unfold because what happens is the current generation doesn't have much of a historical perspective of the past and so they think because we're in 2023 that uh, we don't have to worry about past events and uh, how they unfolded because we're doing the same thing wrong now that we did in the ni- in the 1920s. And we know we had a roaring economy in the 1920s and we know how that ended with the stock market bubble birthing and the real estate market bu- uh, bubble birthing. I think we're in for another repeat of the 1920s. In fact, I just came across some interesting uh, data by an Australian uh, financial advisor who has done the research and he points out there's an 18, on average, an 18 and a half year real estate cycle, which correlates with the stock market. And he's predicting that the economy is gonna peak in 2026. And then we'll have a downturn. And that would lead the Fed to maybe printing oodles of money in 2026, 2027. And that could lead to a flight out of the dollar in 2029 similar to what we saw in 1979 because in 1979, 1980 we were very close tommy to a total destruction of the dollar as as double digit inflation caused foreign holders of dollars to dump their dollars and gold doubled in four months from 440 to 850 in uh, from august of 1979 to january of 1980. Volcker was there, he raised interest rates to break the back of inflation, and inflation went from 12% in 1981 to 3% two years later. So he really broke the back of inflation, but it caused a lot of pain in the economy, which could have been avoided if the Federal Reserve did inflate like they did in the late 1970s, which I was watching in real time. And I said, boy, interest rates are gonna go through the roof. I didn't know how high they were gonna go, because we bought our first house in 1977, Tommy, and we paid 9% on a mortgage. That would be crazy today. But I people said to me, that's a high mortgage that you're paying for your townhouse in Central Jersey. I said, just watch and see what happens to interest rates. And what? 4 years later, rates were at 18%. <coughs> so it just shows you how things can come so unglued that you get so much financial instability because of bad policies coming out of uh, Washington DC.
0: So I, I don't, I can't like pull my mind away from it. I know it's a simplistic view, but, you know, some sometimes you need that sort of childlike examination of something. You know, when you mm-hmm. hear a kid say like, if murder is bad, why do we go to war? And you're like, well, you know, they're doing this. And it's like, sometimes you need the kid to be like, yeah, but killing's bad. And you're like, well, you're not wrong. Like, so maybe I'm just defending my own childlike take on it we have such a big military and we seem to be I get the whole U.S. forever war, Korea, Vietnam. Yeah, I, I get that whole thing. But I mean, we're really even stepping out of America's belligerent sort of mindset in that. I mean, we're really pushing for Ukraine to go hotter We're. I think we just started sending money to Taiwan. We're really pushing for a, a, a war and not with not with a Yemen or a, or a Syria, right. with near-peer right. competitors, yep. I can't help but think that they're just looking at it going, yeah, we're not paying these debts, man. We're going to start a war. We're going to start a big one, the biggest one. Is that where we're going? Is that is that a simplistic view?
1: Well, it's so hard to predict where this is going. All we know is that all the tripwires are in place. Ugh. Ukraine is now expanding the war into into Russia and yeah. Russia says that uh, they may use nu- nuclear weapons against Ukraine. And if that happens, God knows what NATO's response will That's be led end. by the United States. And so this is worse than the Cuban missile crisis of October 1962, which I remember vividly as a high school student. We came so close to mm-hmm. a nuclear exchange between America and the Soviet Union because of the missiles in Cuba. And thank God, Kennedy and Khrushchev had back channel negotiations to defuse the situation and there was give and take on both sides. Uh, Kennedy promised to take the missiles out of Turkey for Khrushchev taking the missiles out of, out of Cuba. And we know what happened a year later, uh, 13 months later, Kennedy was assassinated because the military industrial complex in the United States was not too thrilled with, um, with Kennedy's peace initiative, which began probably soon after the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I urge all your listeners to go to YouTube and Google uh, Kennedy's commencement address at the American University in June of 1963. His speech was one of the greatest speeches of an American president in my lifetime. He basically said to the Soviet Union, uh, even though he addressed it uh, to an American audience, we have to live in peaceful coexistence, even though we don't like your system. In fact, we hate your system of communism, of collectivism, but we are on this small planet called Planet Earth and we have to live peacefully together. And that sort of sealed his fate because five months later he was dead. Mm. So, uh, and and I think Robert Kennedy Jr. is doing the same thing Uh, and hopefully nothing will happen. And I think it is shocking that the Biden administration is denying him secret service protection as a presidential candidate. This is an example of how loathsome that Biden is and his administration by not providing uh, social, uh, social security, secret service protection to Kennedy. I saw Robert Kennedy, Senator Robert Kennedy, uh, campaigning for the U.S. Senate in October 1964 at the Bronx campus of NYU. I was there with my friend waiting to hear the senator speak. We were in the back of the uh, field. It was, a, it was the track that he spoke, and he spoke eloquently. I don't remember the exact things that he said, but someone challenged him about his civil rights record as attorney general, and he had a wonderful response. The people gave him a, a, a huge round of applause. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night in June 1968, listening to the radio and, and, uh, and the announcer saying that President, uh, Senator Kennedy has been shot in Los Angeles. And I remember going to my uh, father's, uh, my parents' bedroom, and I told my father that. And uh, we know what happened. He died two, three days later. So growing up, what did I see? I see the Kennedy assassination, I see the Martin Luther King assassination, I see the Robert Kennedy assassination, the Vietnam War, they lied us into that, they lied us into the Gulf Wars. So we see nothing but lies and destruction coming out of government and how the left genuflex. it shows you how, how pathological they are. They want more power in the hand of government, the most destructive institution created by human beings And that's why the founders in in their infinite wisdom gave us a bill of rights, which said that government has to be restrained, that the people's rights come first and foremost. And yet, what do we see today? People don't like the first amendment, they don't like the second amendment, they don't like the fifth amendment, they don't like the 10th amendment. And so we have a constitutional crisis in this country because our rights are being chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And I think unfortunately, the American people may may wake up one day and the rights that we take for granted will no longer be there and that's my biggest concern is that the american people have complied with all the nonsense coming out of washington about covid and 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 the shots and there's more and more evidence building up that people are getting sicker and sicker from the shots and the boosters and uh, i did a lot of research research spoke to a lot of people and there's not enough money around for me to take this uh, shot because uh, all the evidence suggests that you it's, that you're playing Russian roulette with your health, and um, and the whole mask phenomenon. Uh, it's been proven that masks don't work, and so uh, why are people trusting the federal government's quote health public health officials when they should be going to their doctor to find out what's the best course of treatment for themselves? I spoke to someone recently. Um, who has a medical condition. And when the shots came out, his doctor told him under no circumstances are you to take this shot because it'll adversely affect your health. So he and his wife didn't take it because she also has a a medical condition. And now, again, I believe the doctor-patient relationship has to be the heart of medicine, not the CDC and the uh, NIH and all these other alphabet soup agencies out of the federal government. The American people have basically um, outsourced their medical care to the government and why people are doing that is beyond me and why doctors are doing it. They're not acting independently. They should be getting all the different uh, research and speaking to people across the medical spectrum who have different views than what has been promulgated by the CDC and other agencies and come up with their own conclusion and we must have transparency and we must have informed consent. That's the nature of good medical practice transparency and, uh, and informed consent. If you don't have that, you basically have uh, fraud occurring in the medical field. And, and since fraud is a, a violation of people's uh, sovereignty and individual rights, we have to be very careful about what people advocate and what people recommend, because we, have, we are sovereign individuals and we have to make our own decisions using our ability to reason and speak to doctors and get information. And that's why I'm just appalled that intelligent people are just relying on what the CDC says regarding any um, health situation in the country. It's not what uh, good medicine is about and it's not what uh, the best practices are as well. And people are jeopardizing their health by taking these shots. Uh, We've seen young athletes, healthy athletes, dropping dead, getting myocarditis, getting all sorts of clots. Uh, Coroners, not coroners, but the morticians around the world are reporting clots in people who have had the shots. So why isn't this being, uh, why isn't the mainstream media informing the people that this is exactly what's happening? And um, the adverse consequences of this shot will go down, I think, in medical history as one of the Worst fiascos of the practice of medicine in in human history.
0: Um, to do a complete sort of one hundred and eighty, and I want to go back to. I didn't. I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, when you said the the Federal Reserve has two hundred fifty million ounces of, of of gold, why is it still valued at? Was that the 42 dollars yes it's almost two thousand. now what what, what yeah, is that was, what is that? that why is that
1: was the last devaluation that the Nixon administration did i, I think in, uh, in, Woods, in 1973 Woods. in other words when when he closed the gold window in 1971 he devalued the uh gold uh the dollar to 138 of an ounce of gold then eventually to 142nd of an ounce of gold and, and by law it's valued at that but it should be based upon the market value which is around $2000 an ounce or close to $2000 an ounce so it just shows Let's you how distorted is. and how um, absurd the federal reserve is in terms of dealing with the reality of the of of, of the gold market and and it's a balance sheet uh, what we need to do is go back to what worked the gold standard because we are on the gold standard it wasn't a hundred percent gold standard, the, the price level in the United States basically stayed flat for over a hundred years and, and railroads in the post world, a civil war period were able to issue 99 year bonds at 3% because they were backed by gold. I mean, it just shows you how far we've gone from, from sound monetary and financial conditions because we are in a paper money, fiat money, uh, economy and financial system. And so, um, I've been writing about this for decades and uh, other people have been writing it for a lot longer than I have. And so uh, I'll be c- continue to do that in my Substack column because it's important that people get the message. Government should have no role in the monetary sphere. And if they do, they should back their currencies, their national currencies with a commodity, which is what money originally is. Money is a commodity. It's not paper. Paper is not, doesn't have any value. It, just like, to use an analogy, Tommy, when you bring your car into a garage, you get a ticket, a stub that says that your car is in the garage. That ticket is not your car. It's a claim to your car. You
0: cannot just drive a that banco. ticket. <laughs> what? You cannot drive that ticket.
1: Absolutely. And so that's the analogy that I use with my students, and they get it. Paper is not the real thing it's a claim to the real thing. So bank notes were a claim to the real thing, the gold and silver in the vaults of the bank. And when the banks printed more gold and silver than they had in reserve, that's when people, uh, that's when you had bank panics and people went to the bank to get their money out and they would rupture the bank. Um, So that's where the word bankrupt comes from. So this is easy to understand. And that's why uh, this year is the 60th anniversary of probably the best introduction to money written by uh, the great late Murray Rothbard, what has the government done to our money, which you can read free online at the Mises.org website. Okay. I first read that nearly 50 years ago, and it gave me insight that eventually led to my dissertation topic on an, how inflation spreads through the economy. Uh, in addition to reading his, uh, his economic treatise, Man, Economy and State, where he expands upon that concept. But uh, what has the government done to our money is uh, what the Mises Institute will now be uh, promoting to the whole country by getting it into colleges and universities across the country so young people could read about the nature of money the nature of banking and uh challenge the uh um, the federal reserves uh policies of manipulating interest rates and uh and printing up money uh, unbacked by uh, uh gold which is the premier money that people have been using for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years so again the history of of um of money and banking is is pretty simple to understand. You cannot print money and expect a good outcome. You cannot print money and not expect inflation. You cannot print money and not expect bubbles. And uh, you cannot print money and and, and not have a a, a boom bust cycle. So th- this is all the evidence we've had for hundreds of years of economists expounding upon this phenomenon. And I continue to write in that
0: tradition on my Substack column. That Substack is in the description i'm gonna i'm gonna throw you a challenge because you're a bright guy and it's also very selfish of me, but in the last eight minutes what is the silver lining? <laughs> what is the optimism in this because this podcast this episode is making me slink lower and lower in my chair what is well, what is the here's optimism
1: the, Here's the really good news <laughs> When I started teaching in 1985, Tommy, at Rampo College, and and if I were invited to give a uh, talk about the economy, the national economy, the international economy, and I said, listen, communism doesn't work, socialism doesn't work, and I predict that the Soviet Union is going to collapse by the end of the century, 2000. Well, guess what? It collapsed in 1991, in six short years from the time I started teaching in 1985. Why? Because all the distortions that communism uh creates and what happened in the 1980s the soviet union was bogged down for 10 years in afghanistan they printed up money to pay for the war and the ruble was collapsing in value as inflation gripped the soviet economy so no one believed anymore in the soviet system at least the public and then when gorbachev announced that the uh East, Europe, east european countries the satellite countries were going to be liberated the berlin world came down in 1989 and then uh, the soviet union collapsed and and that was the end of that experiment that lasted nearly 75 years now we've had this paper money experiment since 1971 so it's been more than 50 years we're reaching the end of the line of this experiment and so what that means is we have to be ready with better ideas that's why people have got all these subset columns, the Mises Institute, and other in, uh, organizations around the country, the American Institute of Economic Research, which I worked for back in the late 70s, early 80s, they're providing great intellectual ammunition f- to say, here's how we create prosperity and uh, freedom uh, in the United States that could spread around the world, not by the force of arms, but by the force of ideas. And that's what, um, what I'd like to do, is talk about ideas that will be better than the current ideas which govern the country and our foreign policy. So the good news is, Tommy, there's, there's enough economic freedom in the country that we have all the goods and services that we want. Whether we pay higher prices for them is 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 important, but not totally relevant. Because as long as we have the option of buying something or not buying something or having something at good quality or low quality. We still have the choice to buy what we need to satisfy our lives. And the men and women entrepreneurs, you got to tip their hat to them, Tommy, they're continually innovating, inventing, creating, and those products are coming to the marketplace and prices are coming down in some sectors of the economy, which increases living standards. But we got to get the fed, uh, off this roller coaster of printing money and then not printing money and uh or should they manipulating the interest rates and we've got to get the federal budget down i mean it's just out of sight and we've got to have a balanced budget at much lower levels even lower than the obama administration of 3.9 uh, trillion dollars when he left office so we've got a lot of work to do to get our financial house in order but the good news is that there's enough free enterprise in the country where The lights are on. The gasoline's available. The food uh, supply is in pretty good shape. The clothing is available. uh, Medicine is in pretty good supply. The Internet is not being locked down, which allows us to communicate and and spread the word through uh, podcasts and and other uh, forms of communication. So there's a lot of optimism because, listen, the Civil War was a horrendous, horrendous situation. And we got out of it eventually. Unfortunately, more than eight hundred thousand Americans died. The Southern economy was was uh, destroyed. They had to rebuild that. Then we had World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korea. Um, so the American people are very resilient, and that's what gives me optimism that the tr- at the end the truth will win out. And that's why I do what I do, even though I don't have to do it in retirement. But I think it's important for me because I started entering the battle in 1997 when I ran for governor in New Jersey. And I've been continuing uh, th- this crusade, if you will, of get, trying to get the word out to as many Americans as possible by my books, by my um, by being on your podcast. So I thank you again uh, by by uh, Substack column and and i think at the end of the day freedom works and i think that's what ron paul's message was when he ran for president freedom works it provides us with the the ability to be human and the ability to meet our human needs which is food clothing shelter and all the other things that people enjoy in life and not worry about what goes on in washington washington should not be on our radar screen washington should be so such a little part of our lives that it doesn't it shouldn't matter who's president of the United States it shouldn't matter who's in the Congress of the United States. all that matters is our constitutional rights are protected and we have a free a vibrant free enterprise system and peaceful relations around the world
0: <sighs> to do a complete extrication from everything we've been talking about i'm thirty two I turn thirty three next week what what piece of advice would you give me and not, not like invest in this or do that completely just like human level? What, what piece of I, advice would you give me?
1: I think the best advice I've heard, and I think I followed it for all my adult life is do what you like to do best. And that will give you personal satisfaction. That will give you contentment. It will give you, um, enjoyment. And, um, and, uh, again, uh, in three weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating our 55th wedding anniversary. So find yourself a partner and enjoy uh, your lives together because
0: that's what it's all about. I used to, when I was in college and I was pre-med, you had to, you had to volunteer at hospital. It looked good on your resume, whatever. And uh, one semester I, I did the, I don't remember what it was. But instead of being in the hospital, instead they just tasked me every day with pushing people from the uh I guess the outpatient to the, where they were picked up. It's a legal thing where you have to, you have to be in the wheelchair so you don't fall over. And I would push out these individuals who are the vast majority, probably like over 80 years old. And I had about 90 seconds with them and I'd probably have about 10 or 20 of them. And I was there once a week. So like 20 people a week. And I would always ask them all walks of black, black, white, male, female, short, tall, fat, skinny, what's your piece of advice for at the time I was 21? They would all say, just find someone you love. Mm -hmm. Everything. One guy like drove hot rods. Someone else was a farmer. Someone else was a dancer. Someone across the board. They're like, find someone you love and that will give you more satisfaction than anything in this world. And I think I'm, I think I'm slowly leaning there more and more.
1: And uh, I would say the other thing is not to be too uh, theological here is embrace the Ten Commandments. if everyone embraced the Ten okay.
0: Commandments, we wouldn't need the police and we wouldn't have uh, endless wars I've, 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 it took me a while but i I'd circled back and returned to return to God and that is man that that that's an anchoring point that that can help you weather anything um, but yeah I, I had to find some positive way to to wrap this up but it's 5 p.m i told you i'd let you go at 5 p.m guys please go into the description please go grab his books please go to his uh his sub stack and uh yeah man you're a ball of fire i don't know how you do it you're a ball <laughs> of fire you're you're that's I, I respect that and i i admire that dr Sabron.
1: thanks tommy and happy birthday and uh yesterday was my wife's birthday hey. so i like have happy a birthday. lot in common
0: yes ma'am i said yes ma'am i was thinking of her uh yeah thank you i turned 33 next week and uh no good birthdays anymore. No good birthdays anymore. So I'm just gonna Well, it's, uh,
1: when you think of the alternative, if you don't have a birthday, that's uh, that should give you. Uh, so, <laughs>
0: uh, sorry. Fair point. Yeah, that's a very fair point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, we'll say happy birthday to your wife. And uh, guys, thank you so much. Thank you for watching. Please go support Doctor Saber. And as you can tell, he is a ball of fire. He is. Uh, you you you, what you see is what you get, and uh, that's what I love about you, man. You're a brilliant individual, and I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much, Tommy. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yes, sir. I'll text you.
0: Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for watching. Again, please go to the description. Please go to his sub stack. Please go grab his books. And until uh, next time, Dr. Sabrin, thank you so much, sir. Guys, Recording thank you for stopped. watching. Much love. Peace.